Wellfords from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 84. And today I want to explore the topic of what kind of unschooling life are we leading? Is my family living a second best type of unschooling life? Because we live quite a conventional life. We live in a conventional house on a conventional sized block. It is surrounded by the beautiful Australian bush, but we're not out there in the country on a farm or on a big property. We're not growing our own vegetables, raising our own livestock, weaving and spinning, bottling fruit and vegetables. We're living the kind of life that when other people look at us from the outside, They can't even tell that we're unschoolers. Of course, when people start talking to us, it doesn't take them very long to realize that, yes, we are different. We are unschoolers. But I've been thinking about the sort of environment that we're bringing our children up in. Is that environment rich enough for them? Are they getting all the opportunities that they could to learn about this world of ours? If we're only living a conventional life, how can our children be world changers? Perhaps it's time for us to move and to live in a yurt. Now, why have I mentioned yurts in particular? Well, in the week, I was hopping around the internet, reading a few articles here and there, and I stumbled across an unschooling article on the blog Yurt in the Hollow. The article I was reading is called Raising World Changers, Second Generation Unschooling. It was a really good article. It gave me a lot to think about. Now, the author was homeschooled herself, and she describes the romantic feelings that she had towards school when her first child became school age. It didn't matter about her upbringing, how she was homeschooled herself, she still had romantic feelings about school. She says, I had this romantic idea about school as this place where all knowledge lay at one's fingertips. An idea born from those endless clips on Sesame Street of happy children dancing off to school to have adventures. A vague feeling that I had somehow missed those adventures. An anxious worry that perhaps I, who had spent most of my teenage years traipsing around the globe versus doing algebra, had somehow missed the important knowledge imbued in my public school counterparts. There was a part of me that wanted all of that for my children. Wanted it for myself, maybe. To have that moment where I stood at the end of the driveway waving a cheerful goodbye to my backpack-laden child with her put-together outfit and neatly combed ponytails. I wanted to pack sweet little school lunches and go shopping for all those neat packages of pencils and markers. Did I really want to raise my children outside of society like I had been? I wasn't sure. I can relate to some of those feelings about having romantic ideas about school. Not that I was homeschooled myself, but I did spend a few of my last years of school doing distance education. 
we were travelling, and that seemed the best way to keep up with my schoolwork. So I had another experience besides conventional schooling. Yes, distance education, where I was in charge of my own work. And also, my brother was homeschooled. I knew the possibilities, so I always intended to homeschool my children. And then, when our eldest daughter, Felicity, got to five, and all our friends were enrolling their children in school, I started to think, did I really want to homeschool her after all? Now, Felicity was really quite bright. We'd been doing a lot of things at home together. She could read, that type of thing. And I thought, perhaps she'll do well at school. Perhaps she'll be one of the bright sparks. She'll get all the awards. She'll perform in school concerts. She'll have lots and lots of opportunities. And I'll be a very proud mother. Maybe I wanted her to go to school for my benefit. But it didn't take me very long to change my mind. When I thought about it sensibly, I remembered how much I hated school. Would my daughter really go to school and make lots of friends and be happy? Would she really enjoy learning? Did all those awards really matter? And so I came back to my senses and we didn't send my daughter to school. But it makes me realize how we always have so much hope. Hope that things will be better for our children. You know, we have bad experiences ourselves, but we still hope it won't be the same for our kids. Well, we didn't get a chance to try it out because we decided that we were going to homeschool Felicity. And the author of this article also gave up her romantic ideas. She says, And in one day, all of my romantic ideas of school melted into a puddle like sidewalk chalk in the rain. I did not see learning. I saw control. I saw manipulation. I saw children too young to sit still for five minutes, being expected to keep their bottoms in a chair and focus while their little bodies squirmed to be let loose, until they finally were for an appallingly short recess, whereupon they ran like frenzied puppies around a too small patch of concrete before being lined back up and marched back to their desks, fed a sugar-filled snack, and expected to focus again on their work. And what boring, relentlessly repetitive work it was. So I revisited my romantic ideas about school as I was reading this article. But it also made me think about romantic ideas about unschooling. Sometimes I have those. Are we living the unschooling life that we should be living? Or are other people living a better unschooling life than us? Would it be better for us to buy a farm, like Ben Hewitt? I've been reading his blog lately. Perhaps we ought to grow our own organic vegetables, have alpacas, spin wool, weave our own cloth, and, as I said, live in a yurt. Yes, we should get back to nature, step completely outside mainstream society, give our kids experiences that not many of us get to have. Perhaps I'm holding my kids back. It's just as well that I haven't read any world schooling blogs this week, because not only might I be thinking about having a farm and growing organic vegetables and recycling everything, 
I might also be thinking about getting a camper van and travelling around Australia, or selling up our house and buying plane tickets and travelling the world. Because these are other types of unschooling lives different from our own. Yes, other people's unschooling lives can seem very romantic. They can seem ideal, almost perfect. And it can make people who are living more conventional unschooling lives feel that maybe their lives are second best. I suppose that we're drawn to what is different, what is novel. And we are influenced by what we read. And all the types of blogs that I've been reading lately have started to make me dream, you know? Think about what our life could be like if we gave up the normal things that we're doing and set out on bigger adventures. Years ago, I yearned to live a back-to-nature life. I dreamed of getting away from town, having a few acres, yes, growing our own vegetables, raising chooks, chooks are chickens, in case you don't know. Every time I use the word chook, somebody will stop by and say, what's a chook? A chook is Aussie slang for chicken. I rather like the word because I think chook sounds just like the sort of noise a chicken makes. Chook, 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 chook. Anyway, I wanted to raise chooks, have fresh eggs, do lots of baking, maybe raise our own cattle. I'm not, I wasn't sure about slaughtering our own cattle. Friends of ours did that, but I thought maybe we could have a cow or two, and then when it came time to slaughter them, we could take the cow to the butchers. But yes, all that raise-your-own-food thing. Perhaps we'd have a goat, maybe even a donkey. And we'd have space. Our kids could go wild. We'd be free. No neighbours, no noise. Just do whatever we wanted in our own patch of land. Slow down. Well, this idea remained a dream until one day a friend of ours told us about a cottage that was on 100 acres. It was a fish farm. On that 100 acres, there were five or six big dams, and they were full of fish. The friend told us that he knew the owner of the fish farm, and the owner was looking for somebody to live in the cottage and to feed his fish. All we'd have to do was throw in some chook food every night to feed the fish, and if we did that, we could live in the cottage free, no rent whatsoever. This seemed like the answer to my dream. I asked if we could go out and see the cottage. So one afternoon, my husband Andy and I and a few of our children, I think we had five children at the time, we all piled into the car and drove south, quite a long way south, until we came to this farm, the fish farm, 100 acres of Australian bush. Now it wasn't Australian bush like we have surrounding our house, the tracks where we run. I reckon our bush is really rather beautiful, full of tall gum trees, native flowers, sandy tracks. But this bush wasn't quite so pleasant. The trees weren't tall, they were all stunted, low-growing bushes. Not really my idea of the Australian bush, but yes, it was wild and untamed. It was nature. And there was 100 acres of it. And on those 100 acres, beside the dams of fish, there were kangaroos. 
a mob of kangaroos living amongst the trees. Who has kangaroos living on their property? Yes, very romantic. We had a look at the cottage and my heart fell when I saw it. It was very, very run down. No one had spent any time or money on it for years and it was really tiny. There were only two bedrooms. It looked like it had just been used as a weekender for many years. Probably the owner had stayed there every now and then to see to his fish. Maybe he came down at weekends, but it hadn't been a proper home for a long time. And my husband Andy, being the sensible man he is, shook his head. No, Sue, we couldn't live in this cottage. We have five children. It's only got two bedrooms. And look at the state of the place. There's holes here and cracked windows and dirt. It would never make a nice place to live and to bring up children. And the biggest objection he had of all was that it would take him over two hours to drive to work. Two hours there, two hours back, every single work day. But I didn't let that stop me thinking about the possibilities. I thought of all we could do. Yes, the organic vegetables, the donkey, the chooks, goats. I told Andy about how the kids would love the 100 acres, all that space to play in. They could ride their bikes, they could dig in the dirt, they could get dirty. Nobody would ever see them. They could wear old clothes every single day. And we could repair the house. We could paint and replace glass and fill in cracks and holes. It would be an adventure. And who needed a beautiful cottage anyway? Wouldn't it be far more adventurous to live in a run-down cottage on 100 acres of land? We didn't need a pristine house like the ones in town. And then I suggested that we could get a dog. My kids had never had a dog before. We'd always lived in rental houses and dogs were never allowed. And when my kids heard my suggestion about having a dog, they wanted to come to live in the cottage as well. So they added their voices to mine. We want to live in the cottage, Dad. Wouldn't it be fun to live on a fish farm? Andy said that he would think about it. We went home. I went to the library and I borrowed every book I could find about ducks and chooks and donkeys and everything to do with the farm, bottling fruit and vegetables. And I kept bringing up the subject of the cottage. And Andy kept saying, look, it's a long way from work. And I said, look, perhaps we, you can get another job closer to the cottage. You're not happy there anyway. It might be a good opportunity for you to get another job, for us to move, for us to live our adventure. So one day Andy said yes. Yes, we would give it a go. I reckon he must love me very much. So we packed up and we moved. Andy and I and our five children. Felicity was 11 at the time and Charlotte was one. The first thing we wanted to do was get a dog. So one day I answered an ad in the paper. I drove back to town and we found a dog called Rocket. She was a mixed Kelpie Collie, a working dog, but she had been living in town and she had too much energy and she was always escaping from her owner's house. 
She'd been taken down to the animal shelter too many times, and the owner had decided that the town was the wrong place for Rocket the dog. We sort of ignored the escaping part. We thought, she'll be fine, we'll take her out to our 100 acres. Where is there that she can escape from? She'll have a wonderful time on the farm. She'll be a perfect pet for our children. So yes, I brought the dog back. While I was gone, Andy was fixing fences. The 100 acres of land had a lot of fencing and the fences were in very, very poor condition. We had one neighbour. Our cottage was situated to one side of the 100 acres and our neighbour's house wasn't far from our cottage. When she saw that we had moved in, she came up to the fence line and called us over. And some of her first words were, If that dog jumps over my fence, then I will shoot it. I didn't have much hope for being on good terms with our neighbour. The dog became a worry. I was worried she'd get out onto the road. I was worried she'd jump over the fence into the neighbour's property. Having a dog wasn't as good as I had imagined. Having lots of land wasn't as good as I imagined either. It was full of snakes, which meant that I couldn't let the kids roam free. I preferred that they stayed close to the house. And although we had lots of land and we could have grown vegetables, it didn't take us long to realise that the soil was very poor quality. That's why the bush didn't look so beautiful. It's why the trees were stunted and low-growing. And the other reason that they were like that was because it hardly ever rained. Yes, we had a water problem. We didn't have enough water to grow vegetables. We hardly had enough water for our own needs. We relied on tank water. We were supposed to collect the rain that ran down the roof into the gutters and then into the tank. But as I said, it hardly ever rained. And when it did rain, the gutters got clogged up. They had holes in them. The pipe leading into the tank kept getting blocked up with leaves. The few times that it did rain in the night, I can remember I would get out of bed and I would run outside, climb up the ladder to the tank, unblock the gutters, unblock the downpipe into the tank so that we could collect those precious drops of water. I was always up and down that ladder to the tank, checking on the level of the water. Did we have enough water to survive another week? Could we have a bath? No, I don't think we ever did have baths. We had very short showers. I used to bath the small kids in the kitchen sink. They got really, really dirty. The land was dusty. It was dry. Their clothes got filthy. Which was okay, because that's what we imagined happening. But we didn't have the water to wash anything. Every six weeks, we would hear a strange gurgling noise. And our hearts would sink. It meant that we were almost out of water. The little bit of water we had was making a strange noise in the pipes. And then I knew that I'd have to ring up the water carrier very quickly and hope that they could get out that day. Otherwise, we would be without water. The water carrier would arrive and we'd all go outside and watch it. It would back up to the tank. And then a man would get a big hose. He would attach it to the carrier, attach it to our tank and refill our tank. 
Always he lost a bit of water as he was trying to connect the pipes, and we would stand there watching that water sink into the land. It was a terrible feeling to see all that fresh water disappear. But once the tank was full, we felt good. Perhaps we could have a shower, do some washing. And then, of course, after a few hours, we would start to conserve water again. How long could we make this tank of water last? The other thing we didn't enjoy was the rats. We had a lot of rats in that cottage. We could hear them in the walls. There were holes in the walls. I used to lie in bed at night, imagining the rats coming out and running across the floor and then running across my bed. In the morning, we used to find all our mouse traps full of rats and mice, but we never seemed to get them under control. We did get a couple of cats in the end, but they also couldn't keep up with the mice and rats. Not only was Andy getting tired driving to and from work, we were also getting tired of driving. Music lessons and other activities were a long, long way away. It would take us all day to drive to town for our music lessons, do the shopping, and come home again. We had imagined swimming in the dams in the summer. Another romantic idea. I had said to Andy, just imagine being here in the summer. The kids can swim in those dams. It will be wonderful. We swam in the dam once. I can't exactly remember what was in the dam apart from the fish. There were a lot of plants and fish and I guess there was a lot of dirt and sediment. The dams weren't lined. But maybe we weren't very adventurous because we didn't like swimming in amongst all of that. It wasn't like swimming in a swimming pool, and that's what we had imagined. And although things were very different from what we had imagined, we didn't at first give up. We took each challenge as it came. We tried to make the most of it. We had a good attitude. Yes, the experience wasn't turning out as we had hoped, but we were learning a lot, and maybe things would get better. It might rain. Andy might get a new job. That would make all the difference. We reminded ourselves that dreams take time. We couldn't just run back to town. We had to give it a fair go. But one day, the owner of the farm announced that he wanted to sell the farm. He no longer wanted us to feed his fish. This meant we had to move. And we talked about it as a family. Did we want to go and look for another farm to live on? Or should we head back to town? At the time, I was pregnant with our sixth child. Before we had found a new home, I had to go for an ultrasound at the hospital in town. So one afternoon, I drove from the farm with our five children. I met Andy in town. He'd driven from work. I went into the ultrasound appointment to see our baby for the very first time. But it wasn't a very happy experience. I found out that our unborn baby had what they called an abnormality incompatible with life. He had a diaphragmatic hernia. This of itself wasn't a problem. But because he had a hole in his diaphragm, all his developing organs would move through that hole and they would take up his lung space, his lung cavity, where his lungs should be growing. So the doctors predicted that by the time he was born, he would have very little lung tissue. 
there just wouldn't have been room for it to grow. So we were told that afternoon that our unborn baby probably wouldn't survive after birth. Yes, he was going to die. Suddenly, it didn't matter about our dream of living on a farm. I didn't care about growing my own vegetables, raising animals, spinning wool. I cared about none of that. We decided that we would have to move back to town. We wanted to be close to the hospital. We wanted to live in a conventional house with water. Be close to all the facilities. We had enough to think about. We didn't want to have to worry about the little details of life. We were quite happy to go to town and buy our food, to turn a tap and see water appear. Yes, being self-sufficient didn't seem important anymore. So we did find a nice house, a conventional type house back in town, with a nice garden, beautiful surroundings, but it certainly wasn't an adventurous farm, not a big property, just an ordinary sized house on an ordinary sized block. Some months later, our baby was born. We called him Thomas. He lived for one day and then he died. And soon we realized we were having experiences that nobody would ever ask for. We were learning things that we didn't want to learn. We didn't get to grow our own food, but we did get to experience grief. Which experience would we rather have? I think that one is easy to answer. Which experience, though, taught us the most? We learned a lot about what life is all about after Thomas died. We learned a lot about love. We learned that life isn't about what we do. It's more about how we love. And I think that's how we can change the world, through love. We can be world changers, not because of the lifestyle we're living, the food that we're growing, the recycling that we're doing. All that is good. But we can also be world changers through love. Love changes the world. Now, I'm not saying don't move into the country, don't travel the world, don't live in a yurt. I'm not saying it's not good to recycle or to grow organic vegetables or to think about how much energy we're using and look for alternatives. I'm not saying that it's not good to experience other countries firsthand. These are all really good things to do. And some of us are meant to live those kind of lives, but not all of us. Some of us are living more conventional lives. And that's not second best. No, it's what's perfect for us. After I read that article, the one on the blog, Yurt in the Hollow, I asked my girls, would you like to live in a yurt? They looked at me really strangely. Yurt, why would we want to live in a yurt, mum? No, they don't want to live in a yurt. Do you want to travel the world, I asked next. No, we don't want to travel the world, mum. We're rather homebodies. We like being in our own environment. And though some people would give anything to travel the world, it's not our dream. We like living in our own home, 
our four bedroom conventional home situated on a conventional sized block surrounded by the beautiful Australian bush. I don't suppose that's conventional. I guess that's very fortunate. We don't want to grow vegetables. Our garden is for the dog, not for vegetables. We don't even want to grow flowers. We hate gardening, which is rather ironic because I have a botany degree. I wonder how many other people study a subject like botany and then hate gardening. I can't keep flowers alive at all. I don't know why I thought I could grow vegetables. Why don't we want to dig up our garden? Well, the reason is we just don't have time. We would rather go to the supermarket and buy our food. We want to spend our time doing the things that we're good at, the things we love, work on our computers, write books, make music videos, play the piano. That's our life. And this makes me think about the value of different activities. Surely sometimes we look at activities with romantic eyes. Isn't it better for our kids to be outside, doing things in nature, learning the names of all the plants, drawing them, compiling notebooks and journals and doing nature studies, that type of thing, than it is to be sitting inside with their computers? Isn't nature better than technology? Well, I think that we get a fair amount of nature. Every day we go out to the bush for a walk or a run or both. And we see a lot of the sights around here when we're making music videos. We like going on picnics, sightseeing, but we do spend a lot of time on our computers, hours each day. But I reckon that's okay. Computers are letting us develop the skills that we have to be involved with things that we love. We don't really want to go outside and draw pictures of plants and identify them all. Now at the beginning of this podcast, I can't remember, did I mention that I was reading Ben Hewitt's blog? He's a farmer. I've been enjoying his posts, probably because he lives a very different life from ours. He tells about all the things that go on on his farm. It's probably just as well that I've got over my dream of farming because reading his posts might make me feel unsettled. And I've been thinking, why do I like reading his blog? I think it's because we are attracted to things that are different. Things that are novel, out of the ordinary, as I said, different from our own experience. We're also attracted to the beautiful, and he does write beautifully and conjures up all sorts of wonderful images through his words. And while I have been reading Ben Hewitt's blog, I've been thinking about my own blog and podcasting. Why would anybody want to read about my family's experiences? We're just living a conventional life. What have I got to write about that's interesting, out of the ordinary? attention-grabbing, imaginative. Some time ago, I was telling a friend about this podcast and what I'd been doing. I said, a lot of people are listening to my podcast. The friend asked me what I talk about. I said, I talk about our lives together. And then the friend laughed and she said, why would anybody find that interesting? No, I didn't take offense by the laugh. 
I actually thought she had a good point. It made me think, why would anybody want to listen to my podcast, hear my stories about a conventional family? Surely it would be better to tune in to somebody like Ben Hewitt's podcast. But then again, maybe you live in a yurt. Maybe you live in a caravan or a camper van. You could be traveling around Australia. Maybe you're traveling the world, a world schooler. Perhaps you're a farmer. You might live in a run-down cottage. You might grow organic vegetables. Perhaps you ride a bike instead of driving a car. Do you spin wool and weave cloth? Perhaps you make jam and bottled vegetables and fruit. Maybe my conventional life is different from yours. Perhaps it's novel, out of the ordinary, something different from your experience. Now that's a funny thought, isn't it? That people might like to listen to my podcast because it is conventional. finish my podcast, I just catch up on what's been happening around here. One thing that I did last week, which was totally unexpected, was put together another edition of my Stories of an Unschooling Family newsletter. Yes, last Sunday, I suddenly thought, hey, I feel like writing a newsletter. So I did. But this edition is very different from the previous ones. I was putting together very complicated newsletters, which were taking me days and days to find content for, to arrange, to make look beautiful, and then to send off to everybody. After doing three of these, I came to the conclusion that I didn't really have time. It was a bit overwhelming. And though people gave me good feedback on them, I just didn't feel that I could do it. So I decided maybe I'd try a simpler way of doing things. Just put together a very simple edition and see how that goes down. Well, I didn't get a lot of feedback, but the feedback I got said, Hey, simple is good, Sue. Yes, because I hadn't written the newsletter for a long time, most of the newsletter was just news. What's happening around here with my blog, my podcasts, my videos, that type of thing. But I did have a section where I shared some resources other unschooling blogs, videos, YouTube channels, websites, books. And and that's what I'm hoping to do in future editions. Keep on sharing things that I find around the internet, as well as discuss other things, but in a simple format. It only took me an afternoon to put that newsletter together. So I'm hoping that I will keep up with the newsletter, maybe produce one every month. I'll just see how we go. So if you would like to join my newsletter, you can find a button on my blog at Stories of an Unschooling Family. There's also a button on my Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I'd love you to join us if you haven't already done so. I wonder if you've had time to go over to YouTube to my daughter Imogen Elvis's YouTube channel and watch her latest video. I mentioned this in a podcast, maybe episode 82. It's one of the videos that we recorded while we were away on holiday at Swan Lake several weeks ago. This week's video is the silly video, the one where my daughter Imogen sings the song, Fight Song, 
with the rest of the family as her dancing backup group. It's an extra video. Yes, we all lined up behind Imogen and performed a series of actions to the words as she was singing. It's actually had quite a lot of good feedback. People don't seem to mind silly. It was a lot of fun. Imogen has one more video to edit and then she's going to get into her Christmas music. And she's also working towards her first piece or pieces of music that she's hoping to sell. So that will be a new experience for her. Yes, this year has been a big learning experience for my daughter Imogen. You probably know that she's following her dream of becoming a successful online musician. She's learnt more about mixing music. She's been writing her own harmonies. In her last music video, Fight Song, she actually generated the background music uh, online using some computer software on a site called LMMS. Gave a bit of a different sound to the song. Yes, yeah, so she had to learn how to use that. So much to learn. It just drives home to me how unschooling never finishes. There's always something more that we can learn. There's always some way that we can keep developing our talents, improving our skills. I've been doing that as well. In my newsletter that I mentioned that I'm moving my blog from Blogger to WordPress. And that's going to be a whole new learning experience for me. I know my way around Blogger really well because I've been blogging, I don't know, about six years with Blogger. But with WordPress, I'm going to have to learn it all over again. I also want to learn other things. WordPress will give me more options. I want to make some ebooks that I can give people. Turn some of my blog posts into ebooks. I've been looking at some software to do that, learning a new program. Eventually, I'd like to write an unschooling book, and I know I've been mentioning this for a very long time. It's an idea that's going round and round my head. It surfaces, and then I forget about it, and it comes back again. The girls want me to have a go during November, NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. I did say vaguely a couple of weeks ago, something along the lines of, maybe I'll write a book during November while you're novel writing. Unfortunately, they haven't forgotten that. And the other day they said to me, Mum, what are you going to be writing during November? So I can't decide whether I should start that unschooling book or work on the, the next draft of my third children's novel because I've already written the first one. I wrote it during NaNoWriMo several years ago. But yes, I haven't actually finished the editing of it. So children's novel or unschooling book. Wow, the possibilities. Yes, I haven't decided. Well, I've only got, what, a day or so to decide because November isn't very far away. I'm recording this on a Saturday morning, which isn't my usual day for recording podcasts. But today, my husband, Andy, who is a school teacher, is at a school planning meeting. He'll be gone all day, and I thought, look, I'll make the most of the quiet day. I'll record my podcast. Get ahead. Maybe this edition won't be late. Well, I think I have rambled on far too long today. I should wrap up this podcast. So you probably know there'll be show notes on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. And you know that I'm going to invite you to my Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family. 
Also come over to our Not So Proper and Schoolers Facebook group. There's various other places around the internet where you'll find me, including YouTube. So I would just like to thank you for listening to this podcast. Go out there, chase your dreams, but don't necessarily look at unschooling in a romantic way. If you're happy living a conventional life, it's not second best. But if you do yearn to move to a farm, to travel the world, go for it. But do everything with love, because ultimately it's love, teaching our kids about love, that will help them change the world. So until next time, trust, respect, and love unconditionally. Thank you.